it was such a come to Jesus moment, right? In all the ways, because it was like, if this is it, will I ever forgive myself? And if it's not it, what will I do to say, God, I got the message. Um, and I knew, like, I just knew I have to quit drinking. That's Celeste Yvonne. She's the author of a new book called It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. Celeste is six years sober, and she's going to tell us about that journey today, about what recovery looked like for her, and how it's different for mothers who are facing that wine culture. And really, what is it all about if it's not about the wine? She'll also share some tips for when you're headed to holiday parties in these next few weeks, and she'll share the questions she thinks every woman should ask herself before she pours a drink. Episode three of the So God Made a Mother podcast starts now. Hi, friends. Hi, Celeste. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome. Hi, you guys on these lovely faces. I love seeing <laughs> you. It's just made my morning. We love Celeste. I feel like we've known you. I have known you for a long time, right? She's been a long time, her view from home back in the day contributor mm -hmm. and she has her own social media platforms under the ultimate mom challenge. And she has a new book that came out recently called it's not about the wine, the loaded truth behind mommy wine culture. How long did you write for her view? I mean, it's been a while, right? Probably seven years ago. I started, I think Celeste, I inherited Celeste and her wonderful words when I came on board. <laughs> when did you start Carolyn? I was five, no, six years ago. Okay. It's all math, kind math of a, hard. It's, it's all yeah. kind of a blur. It's true. Yeah. Every time sure. I start to think about it, it just gets a little muddy, but I, <laughs> yeah. several and, years. But then I'm like that. seven years because her view's been around for almost 12. And I'm like, you were just seven. Wow. I feel like you were one of the originals, but can I, okay, here's what I want to talk. I mean, Celeste, you write beautifully and so many of your pieces do so well on your own platforms and always on her view from home. But you, I feel like I'm going to get vulnerable here. You opened my eyes big time to the mommy wine culture. And oh gosh, dang it. Why do I feel emotional? Because <laughs> I didn't realize really, truly when my girls were little, now they're 15 and 13. And I remember even the early days of her view, I would put a selfie of myself with a glass of wine and we'd all joke and laugh about it of how hard the day was and that, you know, let's have a, a glass of wine to get through it. I really didn't realize how damaging and dangerous that can be until I started reading your pieces and it, it, it opened my eyes and changed my perspective. And I don't know if I've ever thanked you for that. So thank oh. you. Thank you for that. Just of understanding it from a different place. Well, and to be fair, I posted those too. I didn't realize how dangerous it was until I started going through it myself. Right. But I don't think anybody puts that out there with any ill intention. It's just a place of not really knowing or understanding how we got here and how problematic the messaging can be. And to be fair too, um, this isn't about a mother enjoying a glass of wine, right? The, the problems with mommy wine culture are, are far more complex than that. And it's really about using or blaming our kids or the fact of parenting for the reasons we drink. Uh, and that's where I think we get into the weeds of leaving mothers feeling like we have no actual proper tools for support because alcohol is not a tool. 
Mm-hmm. And I had to learn that the hard way. We are told and we laugh and joke that it's it's this tool. It's all we've got. For, and for me, truly, I felt like it was a tool and it is all I got until I got to a place where I was like, holy hell, this tool is going to end me and my family if I don't find another tool fast. So I think a lot of us think it's harmless or it's humorous to, you know, make a toast to needing alcohol to survive parenting. And that's where I think it gets really tricky and complex. And now on the other side of it, you know, I'm almost six years sober. I see it with so much grace because I see now why we're here. And why we're in this place where mothers feel like they have literally no tools, because many of us don't. Lately, this whole trend of hire your village is going viral on social media. And it's a message of survival because mothers feel so undersupported. There is no village. So the ones who can afford to hire the village do, leaving the majority of mothers who don't have that ability completely stuck and even more flustered. Uh, so I just think about all the nuance, you know, that of what got us here to the place where we are saying we need alcohol to survive parenting. And it's not about the wine. I mean, it really is not. It's about the fact that we have so many places where we are under supported and we genuinely need better support. Can yeah. we deep, a- deep dive into your yeah. story? a little bit and and tell everyone how you got to where you are and where you started. Yeah, I think I always consider myself a normal drinker. And I, I say that because I was raised in a family with an alcoholic dad. So I knew what the worst case scenario looked like firsthand. And I always thought as long as I never got there on this, you know, weird gray spectrum of drinking, as long as I never get to that far end, I'm safe, I'm a normal drinker, and I'll be fine. But the problem was, you know, the the gap between normal drinker and what my dad did was pretty wide. He he left a lot of space there uh, to have a very problematic relationship and still not reach the level he reached. Uh, so I was able to, I think, drink in a high-risk way without feeling like I was falling down the rabbit hole of addiction. And I feel like everything about my drinking changed in motherhood. And I say that because when I used to drink for fun and to socialize and to date in motherhood, my drinking felt more like I deserve this. Mm. I need this. This is all I have. And um, I could feel it like deep inside, like when you are, I mean, if you go back to the early days of motherhood, when you've got a screaming baby, you don't know what you're doing. You're on three hours of sleep. The house is disgusting. Your husband just went off to work for the next eight or nine hours, leaving you alone with this. And, you know, I didn't know it then, but I was also starting to show early signs of postpartum depression and anxiety. To know that at the end of the day, I had a glass of wine followed by several more waiting for me was literally all I had. And that's how it felt. It was like, at least I have this to look forward to. And so that's kind of really where this cycle began of I'm just going to have one. 
And then my tolerance grew and then I needed two. And then, you know, by the time I was at a bottle of wine a night, I knew from an external standpoint, this did not look good. So I started hiding it, you know, just like my dad used to hide his booze. But for me, it felt like it was okay. It was safe because I'm still in control. I'm only, you know, I'm only having four glasses. He, his drink of choice was hard alcohol. I'm drinking wine. You know, I had all these things in my belt to justify what was increasingly becoming a problem. And it was also going to be my downfall because waking up hungover to parent little children is impossible. Uh, It's brutal. That was only going to go one of two ways. It was either going to be me starting to drink in the morning or it was going to be me having to stop. And because of my dad's experience, I had the wherewithal to say, I have to stop because drinking in the morning, I really have reached his level. I don't know if I did not see my dad's experience firsthand, if I would have stopped when I did, you know, I was 38 when I stopped and it really was because I saw where that road leads And it was not a road I would ever want for myself. It is certainly not a road I would ever want for my children. And he had a stroke that almost killed him. He was 52 when he had that stroke, which sure looked pretty close to 38 on that day that I quit. Uh, So I'm grateful to him in so many ways because it was through his experience that I was able to have the courage and the insight to say, I have to do, I have to stop now in sharing my story. I hope I can help other mothers uh, who may, maybe they didn't have that experience. They didn't see firsthand where this direction goes. Uh, And maybe I can help them through my story, understand that nobody wins when you are leaning on alcohol to cope. It is the most self-sabotaging thing we can do. And it is genuinely harmful for our children. I I think that kind of dovetails into what the piece you wrote for, Mm -hmm. for So God Made a Mother. And also, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say too, that this is a thought that we echo with writers a lot, but for you to put that out there and to share that is really brave because I think anytime you're going through something, especially in early motherhood, I think you feel it's isolating, right? And so what you talked about a lot while you were telling your story is that feeling of isolation and the feeling of I'm turning towards something myself to fix it. And so for you to to put that out there and say, this is why I, I think that's really yeah. important. So I mean, Celeste, when, whenever I have a drink, because what I love about you is that you don't shame women right. for having a, a glass of wine or a drink on a Friday night with their husband on date night. It's when you take it to that next level. And I, I truly do. I I have to ask myself, am I having this glass of wine because I'm anxious or stressed about something, which this is a very high stress profession. (laughs) So I often have, or do I want to just have a glass of wine with my husband at dinner because it's date night and this is what we do. And, and I, it really is a, a mind shift for me. And you did that. That's huge. I mean, being mindful as to what the drink is, what you're drinking for or towards is so Mm -hmm. important because research shows women drink for different reasons than men. Men drink more socially to have fun. Women drink more uh, to relieve anxiety Mm -hmm. and and strain and pressure. And uh, the other problem we have uh, is women are impacted 
harder and worse by alcohol than men. Of course. Of course. I mean, <laughs> we're being, you know, I, I, I don't want to say bad words. We get it from both sides. All right. Yeah. And it's just, it's not fair and it sucks, mm-hmm. but it's just the way it is. So the more we can be mindful about what, yeah, why we're drinking. And it's not right. to say don't drink. You know, my right. husband drinks, my mom drinks. It's to say, what is the drink? What am I trying to do? And will I be able to stop? I mean, that's really yeah. what it comes down to. It's just like a, a check-in, a momentary, like you said, Leslie, you just stop mm-hmm. for a minute. It's that self-awareness that's important. I mean, it'd be the same thing with food, right? I mean, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. When you're having a piece of cake, am I eating this because I'm stressed or am I eating it right. to enjoy it? Will I be able to stop after one slice? Yep. So she wrote this piece called Beyond the Picket Fence that is in our uh, So God Made a Mother book. And I think we just want to have her read um, a little excerpt of it. All right, here we go. While we looked like a happy-go-lucky family on the outside, there were darker forces at play. I was drinking about a bottle of wine a night, often alone and in secret. Just a few months earlier, I had written a prayer request at church saying, I am sabotaging everything good in my life. My drinking wasn't a visible problem yet, but undoubtedly it would become one, and my son was bearing the brunt of my internal chaos. The hitting, the impulsivity, and the tantrums that could last for hours— We didn't know the cause, and we wouldn't be able to put a label on it for another three years. But his environment could be vastly improved, and it had to start with me. When people ask me what made me quit drinking, I ask them how much time they have. There were signs my drinking was coming to an end long before I put down the bottle. The voice, starting as a whisper and ending with screams and sobs, finally burrowed into my head and heart on a cold, somber Monday morning in December. It's hard to describe emotional rock bottom, other than to say my worst nightmare was laid out before me like a bed of nails. Is this what you want? God called to me because this is the direction you're going. Goosebumps, Celeste. Like Carolyn and I talk about this often when these pieces came in for this book, we just knew. Mm -hmm. And I just know that by sharing your story in this book, on your platform, in your book, you are helping so many other women. And that is incredibly brave and powerful. So thank you so much. I would love to deep dive into, okay, you knew you had to stop. What did you do? What were the next steps that you took? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it was this cold, somber day in December. Uh, I didn't know that was going to be my day one. But um, what happened was I went to work and I'm just sitting at my desk as, you know, when you open your Outlook and all the emails come flooding in. And, you know, we talk about Sunday scaries, but it really should be Monday scaries because it's a stressful moment to start your week when uh, you just see all the work that's in front of you. And as those emails start to flood in, I just had a panic attack. Uh, I didn't know it was a panic attack at the time. I had a cold sweat. I was having trouble breathing. I thought maybe I was having a stroke like my dad did. And um, in kind of that time frame when I drove myself to the hospital thinking I'm having a stroke, I'm having a stroke. My life kind of flashed before me of what that would look like to have a stroke and either die and, you know, watching my family try to carry on without me or to be permanently disabled like my father was and watching my family to then have to recenter their lives to aid me for the next however many years of permanent disability. And um, it was such a come to Jesus moment. 
right? In all the ways, because it was like, if this is it, will I ever forgive myself? And if it's not it, what will I do to say, God, I got the message. I I, I get you. Your sign was not lost on me. Um, And I knew, like, I just knew I have to quit drinking. I knew it at the hospital. I knew it when my mom came to sit with me at the hospital. And I said to her for the first time I've ever said to anybody, I have a drinking problem. And I knew when I got home that day and I told my husband, like, I went to the hospital today. I have, I I think, I, I don't even think I said I had a drinking problem. I said, I have to stop drinking. That was really the first step for me. And what I did that day that was so important is number one, I admitted my problem. I knew that what I was doing wasn't okay. So um, I was able to say that out loud for the first time ever. The second thing I did that was so critical to me, especially because um, I'm very motivated by other people was I built an accountability partner right there through my mom. And my husband too, but more so my mom, because I wasn't ready to be totally honest with my husband at that point about how bad it had been. Uh, But I was ready to be honest with my mom. And so from that day on, I knew that when I told her she was not going to let me start drinking again next week and be like, oh, (laughs) yeah, I was just a scare. Like I knew she would hold me to this, which is really scary. Uh, But it was so very necessary for me to move forward. The way I started those first few weeks and months is probably the worst way possible, which is to say I did it otherwise alone. Um, I did not find a recovery group. Um, I did not attend meetings. I did not read anything helpful. I just thought this is my new reality is no more alcohol. And I white knuckled it like my life depended on it. It still worked out for me because I was able to find the community and the support and the pillars to have a strong foundation later, but it didn't have to be as miserable as I made it. What I tell people from this experience is you don't have to do this alone. And I would advise you not to. They say community is connection and community is the opposite of addiction. And when you are find a group of people or people who will support you and love you and that you can share your brutal, honest truth with, you can let go a lot of the shame and blame and hurt that otherwise just sits in you like a thousand pound weight. So I would encourage anybody who you know feels in their heart that they need to rethink their relationship with alcohol to find a community. And there are so many now. You don't have to do it through Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you can find a virtual support community online without having to leave your home. I love that. I love that about where recovery has gone in just the past six years since I've been sober, and especially since the pandemic, that there's a vast array of different types of recovery programs and communities, and you will find one that meets your needs. And you are providing some of that yourself. You talked about you didn't have a, you didn't reach out to a support group or to any of that. You created it, Celeste, because your Mm -hmm. writing and sharing your experience has really provided that for other people. So while you went through that hard time and that's horrible, and I'm sorry that you did, you were able to take it and turn it into something truly powerful and really useful in just making us think about it, A, Mm -hmm. and then providing that safe place to say, I can come here, read someone else's story, connect with someone else. Yeah, I hope, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, my friend Emily started uh, the Sober Mom Squad and I 
latched on immediately. Uh, and that really was my first experience with a sober community. Uh, that was my first experience with a meeting. That was my first experience hosting. And um, we started hosting these uh, meetings online via Zoom for anyone who identified as a mother and was living or exploring alcohol-free living. We just started hosting these weekly uh, right at the start of the pandemic because recovery meetings, real in-person recovery meetings, they were all canceled, you know, yeah. as with everything got shut down um, during that time. So people in recovery really needed support. Uh, so when those meetings started and we saw all these women joining and connecting, I think for me, it made me realize one, um, how much harder I made it on myself by not having a group like this, but two, how recovery will never be the same moving forward now that we have virtual options. And as a mom, you know, I have to tell you when I isn't, when I was in early recovery, trying to figure out what I was going to do, uh, I, I I met with somebody who was an AA and she said, you need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Wow. And I, I had a one and a three-year-old at home and I hadn't even made come to terms with how I identify with my drinking, let alone what I was going to tell my husband about what I was doing towards the end there. Uh, so for me to then say, I will be going to 90 meetings for the next 90 days, you need to watch the kids was not something I was ready or willing to do. And so when she said that, I immediately shut it down. Like that is not going to happen. But now that recovery has gone virtual, the opportunities provided for mothers who are in the place that I was in, that so many of us are in with littles is amazing. It's life-changing. I mean, these women can hop on a Zoom call off camera, you can even change your name. Nobody has to know it's you. And you can just listen while you are watching the kids. I mean, the opportunities now for women are so vast. Uh, I wish it was something I had when I first quit, but I'm so glad we have it now. We'll have to include that link, Celeste, in yeah. our show notes as well. So women know, you know where yeah. to go, how to start. Can we dive into the holiday season? Because alcohol is at everything, every event from Halloween through New Year's Day. What can women do if they don't want that glass of wine, that drink, but they feel pressured? And I would say, what can women do who are worried about drinking and the host as well? What can mm -hmm. they do to be sensitive to the needs of others who don't want alcohol? Yeah, I think, I, and I'm so grateful this conversation is changing too, because when I first quit drinking, even just six years ago, going to a party generally meant that there was alcohol options and tap water. Mm -hmm. And that's what I got to, you know, choose. That's changing. You know, the mocktails industry has exploded. The non-alcoholic beer and wine industry has exploded. You can find non-alcoholic options anywhere now. I think at pretty, probably any grocery store. I saw a non-alcoholic beer at Costco a couple weeks ago. So oh. I know things are actively changing. Um, for people who are hosting, whether or not you uh, struggle with your drinking, uh, to have alcohol and non-alcoholic options at a party is so vital uh, towards being inclusive, towards uh, meeting people where they're at and not letting anybody feel called out or uncomfortable if or when they are not ready to talk about why they're not going to be drinking 
for whatever reason, you know, we're all going to have different reasons as to why we might not want to drink on a particular day, but to then have to explain ourselves is really Mm -hmm. where uh, it can be so frustrating that like in my first year of recovery, I would walk around holding drinks just to not have to explain myself. So to be able to have options where somebody could just grab something from the fridge or the bar without needing to be like calling themselves out is is huge and um, is a game changer. And I think people will be surprised just how many people pick up the non-alcoholic option. I would encourage that for anybody who is um, hosting an event. And then for people who are attending events and they are concerned about their drinking or they're looking to cut back or they're early in sobriety, Um, or they're taking a 30-day break, whatever the reason. Uh, There's a few things I do personally that I would recommend for anyone, which is number one, I always bring my own drinks. Even, you know, even if people tell me, no, there's going to be non-alcoholic options. I just have something and it's just a backup, right? It's just a plan B in case they forgot, in case, you know, something happens. I'm not reliant on somebody else uh, to have uh, my best interest at heart. Um, Number two, I always have a plan B uh, with my partner for getting to and from an event, uh, which is to say, generally, I will take my own car. That allows me the freedom. If the kids are there, it allows me the freedom to say, the kids are crazy. I'm taking the kids home. Honey, you can stay. But also, if I feel triggered or if I'm really uncomfortable with the direction the party's going, if everyone, if it's getting a little out of hand, um, I can just go home. My husband gets uh, the kids and um, he can stay longer at the party or I can take the kids home. It just gives us more flexibility. And then the last thing I would suggest, uh, especially if you're early in it or just looking to hold yourself accountable is to have somebody who's going to be at the party with you who knows your plan who knows you don't want to drink that day or who knows that you aren't drinking. That can be great for checking in. That can be great for some accountability. So you don't, you know, do the effort Mm -hmm. uh, thing that is so many people, it's so easy to fall on, especially when everyone around you is drinking. It's so easy to just go, you know what, effort. Especially if they ask you, why aren't you are you really not going to have a drink? You don't want to be on, the weird one. Christmas, you don't want right? to be the weird one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just have one. I mean, yeah. like so many things. Yeah. It's so easy to, in the heat of the moment, just be yeah. like, fine. This is stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll do the, I'll deal with this later. Um, mm-hmm. So to have that kind of accountability can be really huge. Um, and then, you know, I would say a bonus would be if you have a friend or someone in your sober community uh, that you can be texting with or, hop on a phone call with at any given moment um, to be like, I'm struggling or I'm feeling triggered. Um, just Just to have somebody who gets it. Like my mom was always my accountability partner, but she didn't get it. I mean, she still drank on occasion too. She just knew when to stop. Uh, so to have somebody that I could just grab, pull my phone out and be like, I'm feeling triggered. What should I do? And to have somebody who has been there, done that, to talk me back down to earth uh, can be so vital um, and so helpful. Um, and then uh, one other thing that I just thought of is whenever I'm struggling with anything, going outside and um, taking like even just a little walk. If you're at a holiday party, put your jacket on and go outside for a walk. Getting 
that fresh air, um, I swear, I mean, there's, there's something about it that just recenters you and kind of puts things back in perspective. Like my first like nine months of sober living was really kind of me, you know, white knuckling this, feeling like a victim and feeling like I lost my seat at the adult table. And now I was stuck at the kids table for the rest of my life. And it wasn't until we were, you know, in the, her view from home private group. Uh, and I think it was you, Leslie, it might be been you, Carolyn, somebody said like, let's just do a shout out thread or things we're proud of. And um, I heard somebody from the group say, I'm six weeks sober and I've never felt better. And it was that I was 11 months sober at that time. It was such a mind shift for me to be like, wait, is this something I'm allowed to be proud of? Hmm. It, it was that moment that really transformed my thought process from, I have to do this to I'm doing this. That was like, perhaps the most important reframe of my entire sober journey uh, to date, because up until that point, it was a top secret. Don't tell anybody. I did not write anything about it. Nobody could know this about me. And about a month later, you know, when I reached my one year soberversary, it's the first time I ever wrote about it. And I, I just said, Hey guys, you probably don't know this about me. Cause I didn't know this about me till recently, but I have a, I am a woman in recovery for a drinking problem. And, um, it was through the, her view from home, group and the women there that really helped me rethink what this was that I was doing. Thank you for that. Amazing. Yeah. Well, because we have to talk about it. That's yeah. why we do what we do. Celeste here at Herbie from home with So God Made a Mother. It's why you do what you do because you, we just open that conversation and look what happens. So, yeah. It's so you. much bigger than us. We always yeah. say. And now every single time we talk to you guys, we hear this over and over again of, of how much this community has helped women and how, and, and then you think how many more women across the globe, just by you guys sharing your stories on your own social platforms and in your books, you're helping so many people. I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible, right? Mm -hmm. Just to think mm -hmm. of, and, and just by being brave and vulnerable, but it's really scary and hard mm -hmm. to be brave and vulnerable. So thank you for, for doing that for so many others who, who can't. Right. Yeah. No, thank you guys. Thank you both for um, encouraging us and lifting us up. Um, I feel like I have friends in you both, but supporters and sometimes, you know, writing, sometimes social media. I mean, sometimes it can all feel so ugly, but I always know with her view from home and with you two that we're on the same team, like that we've got each other's backs. All right, friends, you can learn all about Celeste's journey uh, on your social media pages. We're going to put all the links there in the show notes and in her new book, it's not about the wine, which has done very well and sold a lot of copies and helping a lot of women all across the globe, me included. So thank you. Until next Nothing time. Nothing else to say after that. All right. Remember, the world needs your story. Bye, friends. Bye.